Welcome back to Global Nomad Hacks. My name is Dr. Heidi Forbes Esta, and today I'm excited to introduce to you Jessica Thiefels. She's a content creator and author and a global nomad and explorer herself. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about travel and nomading and business. <laughs> so you obviously, we'll get a little bit into your business stuff. But first, because we are global nomads, we want to hear a little bit about your adventures because you spent eight months running your business and while you're writing your book, traveling. So a lot of people, that's something a lot of people aspire to do. Let's hear a little bit about that journey. and. Where'd you go? What'd you do? And how'd you make it work? Yeah. So we went, my husband and I, were. Uh, we both traveled. We both worked for ourselves. And we went basically everywhere. As we like to say, we circumnavigated the globe over the course of eight months. We went to Australia, Southeast Asia, Europe, and Northern Africa. I think in total, we went to 15 countries or something like that. Stayed in like 40 plus Airbnbs, went to 20 plus gyms because <laughs> we were living on the go. So we weren't, you know, we, we knew that we couldn't be living in vacation mode for eight months. We had to have some sort of routine. So gym, going to the gym was part of that routine for us. So yeah, so that was, that was last year, 2019 from April to December. And it was something that I knew I really wanted to live that digital nomad life for some portion of time. I didn't know what that was. And I was slowly getting my husband on board and he always thought it was cool, but he worked for a company. He was always scared for us to both work for ourselves and not have like a steady paycheck. He's like a how guy. And I'm like, a let's just leap and figure it out kind of person. <laughs> so we finally had the opportunity and we said, you know what, let's just make it happen. Eight months seemed to make sense. We were leaving after a wedding that we were both in, in April. And we figured why not go till the end of the year? We could have left earlier, but we just bought because we bought a one-way ticket, but we decided to stay through December. And uh, he quit his job before we left and started working for himself. He now fully works for himself under my company. And it was incredible and life-changing. And I'm so grateful we did it last year and not this year because we wouldn't be doing it if we did it this year. So Absolutely. Well, you know, as we all know, being right in the middle of this pandemic crisis has changed a lot of our worlds, whether we are stuck someplace that's maybe not home or whether we're home and wanting to go back to the place that feels more like home because it's the place that we've been living for many, many years. It's, you know, it's changed the dynamic of that. So good for you for getting that in before something like this happens. Although I have a feeling we'll have a lot of people jumping on the plane as soon as they get a chance to, to go explore. Yeah. I'm curious. So, you know, first of all, what made you think about where you're going to go, but also what sort of inspired you to just, okay, I want to take eight months, I'm going to go travel, and I want to go just see the world. Had you done a lot of travel prior to that? Had you ever lived abroad? Or it was just something that was just burning for you to do? Yeah, I've done a lot of travel within the US. I love camping and hiking. So camping at national parks and traveling for weddings and taking weekends away. And my husband and I had done three weeks in Europe. And I think that was the ultimate like, okay, let's do this more. And that was, gosh, at this point, four or five years ago. And so that was probably three, two or probably three years before we had actually left for this trip. So I think that gave us the travel bug, like the feeling of like a different world. And in terms of where we decided to go, we, we knew we wanted to go to Bali. 
And that was actually the very first thing that we booked. I think we bought our plane ticket to Australia, which is where we started, but we uh, stayed at a co-living community in Bali that I had been, we had been recommended to check out from a friend of mine who had been living there for a little while. And so we knew we wanted to start in Australia because one of our very best friends has lived there for almost 10 years. And he was like, just come, you just get here. I will do the rest. And we actually had so much fun. We took those almost entire three weeks off from work. So the first three weeks of the trip, and we drove with our friend and his girlfriend up the East coast of Australia and back down. So we did all the the three major cities on that coast. We camped. It was incredible. We were on, we stayed at it like a, a very old sort of resort style place right on called Heron Island, mm-hmm. right on the reef. We did tons of snorkeling. And so we knew we wanted to start there. And if we were going to be in Bali, we figured let's do Southeast Asia because we're right in that place. And so we did Thailand and Vietnam and Singapore. And then we knew we wanted to get over to Europe because we were meeting his family, my husband's family in September in Italy. And we were meeting my family in October in France. And so we actually ended up spending a month, a lot of the places we decided just on the go. We didn't pre, we sort of knew the flow, but we didn't pre-choose places. And so we knew we, Europe, you can only stay for 90 days without having to leave for 90 days and then you can come back. But we had like the whole last four, five months of the trip was in Europe. So Croatia is actually outside of that zone, that Schengen zone or Schengen or how to say it? Schengen. Um, Schengen. Okay, perfect. So we were like, you know what? Let's do Croatia. And actually that was the peak, the absolute highlight of the trip. Spending, what was that? August in Croatia was unlike anything. I mean, it was like being a kid again. You're in the sun every day. You were swimming every day. We did a seven day cruise, which is like a, it's not a full cruise. There's probably 25 of us, but they're all people our age. And that was the time of our life. So yeah, so we knew that was sort of the flow. And then we added Northern Africa in probably in September, we decided to do Northern Africa at the very end, which looking back was an interesting choice, (laughs) having experienced it, because that was definitely the hardest part of the trip. And that was the last three weeks of the three weeks to month of the trip. And it's a really hard place. It's a very challenging place to live. So yeah, I you got me, I've got to get a little bit deeper in there. What was challenging about it? You know, it was, I would, I'll say it was challenging in general about being there, but also challenging because we were on the last, you know, about three weeks of eight months of travel. So we were starting to get a little fatigued and especially the last four months, we were in a new location every seven to 10 days. Mm. So it was a lot, a lot of movement. Northern Africa, it's a completely different culture. So even like when we were in Morocco, Tangier, thank you. I couldn't think of the name. You know, you walk through the areas where everyone lives, like the sort of old town areas, and it's just, you can feel people staring at you. It's a little intimidating, especially as a woman. I didn't wear a headdress. I did a lot of research before and they said, you don't have to cover your head, but like know that the least, the less clothes you're wearing and the less covered you are, the more likely you are to get attention. It was cold there. So I was wearing pants and a jacket the whole time. But I mean, I have blonde hair. Doesn't look very blonde right now, but I have blonde <laughs> hair. And walking around, you can just feel everyone's eyes on you. And it's it's a little nerve wracking. And it's not as built up as a lot of the places that we've been. There's a massive cultural difference in the way women are treated and looked at. So like going to the gym, we had to go to separate gyms. My husband and I couldn't both go. They have male gyms and female gyms. 
And the female gym is only open to females like two or three days a week. And the rest of the time it's for men. So we had to sort of split up to be able to do that, which I didn't really want to be by myself in that place because I didn't feel totally comfortable walking around. But then when we got a little further and we went to Marrakesh, that felt a little bit more modern. There was a lot, a lot more women walking around without their heads covered and it felt younger. There were still areas that were like old style and it was just hectic. Marrakesh was like motorbikes everywhere and everywhere you look, there's chickens over here being killed and there's people over here selling food and there's people over here trying to get you to buy any possible thing they can get you to buy. And it's just like constant go, go, go. And then we ended in Tunisia, which was the perfect place to end because it was relaxed there, a lot less stressful. We were in this really beautiful area called Sidi Boussed. It's required for at least this particular area we were in to have everything painted white with blue accent. So it was that really gorgeous, beautiful, like Mediterranean sort of look. And it's right on the water. So it was gorgeous. But I think it was just harder to manage because we were so fatigued and I Mm -hmm. was just ready. We were both ready to stop looking for restaurants every single night of the week, stop trying to find a place where we could go. Like, And in all of Northern Africa, everyone, one of their first languages is French. And their second language is usually something more cultural. And so it was rare that you'd find someone that spoke English. So normally you could get by with just English, which is what we did the whole time. But there, it felt like we had to work harder, you know, to live comfortably. And we were just tired of working hard. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, no, I hear you. That was why it was so difficult. Long-winded response. Well, no, but I think that's that's important to think about is sort of what is the optimal amount of time to be in in sort of outside of your comfort zone and just how far outside of your comfort zone do you want to get? And the other part that I think is is really intriguing and fascinating for me is that you traveled with your partner. And mm-hmm. one of the other interviews that I did recently was with Michael Ferguson, who he really looks at sort of your different travel and vacation personality type and how that matches with the type of adventures that you choose. And, you know, sometimes those you're, you can be mismatched. And we talked a little bit about that. And so I'm curious how, obviously, you made it eight months and you're still together with your partner. So it could have, it must have been a pretty good match in terms of what your interests were. But what were some of the things that, that in terms of managing that relationship, were there some tips or tricks that you really learned in order to provide each other the space, but also give each other the support that you needed to make it through eight months of being your sort of sole support system? Yes. Being together was definitely one of the greatest and one of the most challenging pieces of the trip. We've been together for it'll be 15 years this year. So in general, we've lived together for nine years And so we know each other very well. I think one of the biggest challenges for me was that he is very much a go, go, go personality. Like even at home, he can't just sit. And I have really in the last probably two years shifted into a much more chill place. So, and my thing was we are traveling for eight months. We can't like when you're on vacation, you want to go to every single thing. You want to do everything you want to always. But I was like, I need chill time. Like I need time to just decompress because Really, when I was running my business completely, like nothing changed. I did work significantly less hours, but I mean, I was still managing the same client load, managing the same contractors I manage. Plus, I was writing a book. Plus, we're traveling and doing... So it's like I was burning the candle at every possible end you could burn it at. I needed more time. He actually wasn't working a ton at the time. So we were saying he was running our life. 
while I was making money so we could travel because he only had a few clients. He's now full-time in his business. But so we had to just like allow sometimes for him to maybe just like go walk by himself or one day in Vietnam, he took the motorbike and just went by himself on like a drive. And I literally laid in bed and watched a movie. Like I just needed to mind them. So I think that was one of the biggest challenges. And I really, and just like getting on each other's nerves, being in such a small space, like (laughs) this is the one that the example I always give, because I think it's the funniest one, the way he drinks water, like literally started driving me mad. I drink water throughout the day. I have my water bottle taking sips. He'll just won't drink water for like an hour and then he'll go and he'll gulp it. Like a ton of water. And And I'm like, do you have to be so loud? Can you just be a little quieter? Like what is going on? And that's so silly. But when you're with someone constantly, these little things that you wouldn't normally notice in your life, you start to pick up and you're like, I can't deal with this. So we were a little bit driving each other crazy, but we stayed in Airbnbs the whole time. So we often were able to get pretty nice places, especially in Asia for really inexpensive and in in Africa. So we usually had a decent amount of space. There were some places where we were like in small studios or one bedroom apartments where it became challenging, but we also very much prioritized bright light and outside space because that's important for us in general, but especially when we're working and spending a decent amount of time in the apartment. So having the patio was nice to be able to just like go sit by yourself and read outside or something. But I feel like that was really the only thing. I mean, luckily for us, we very much have the same taste. We wanted to go to the same places. We work very similarly. So we always wanted to be going to a coffee shop every day. We eat very similar. So it was really easy finding a place to eat. I mean, he's definitely the only person that I could travel for eight months with and maybe only half want to murder. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's pretty good. I mean, I think most of us, if we travel by ourselves for that amount of time, we want to murder ourselves. We're like, okay, (laughs) I'm tired. Hopefully this thing won't go on this, you know, this sheltering in place or quarantine, whatever, won't go on for too long. But there's certainly people that just, you know, you get too much of yourself or you get too much of the people that you're around. So I think there's lessons that we can learn from your experience and from travel experiences that we can apply to our living now and the current conditions, because you are often in a strange space. And sometimes that strange space is actually your own space, but you're having to use it for a different purpose. And mm-hmm. so, you know, especially if you're working from home and you're not used to working from home, we talked a little bit in the green room about I work from home anyway. I've been actually kicked out of my studio and mm-hmm. I have to move my studio into the bedroom to accommodate the rest of my family now working and studying from home. So that's a very, that sort of goes against the grain of everything that I believe in because it's all about keeping technology out of the bedroom. But, mm-hmm. you know, you got to do what you've got to do in order to get your work done and to to still be able to thrive and and like the people that you're around <laughs> and be able to yeah. appreciate what you're experiencing. So yeah. you've been working on a book and obviously that takes a lot of your time and energy and I'm curious about your writing process because I know a lot of people who travel sort of imagine themselves as as you know the potential of writing some travel novel or or maybe writing a guidebook to a certain area. But it's not just you pick up and pen to paper and start writing. There's a whole process behind it. I've, and I've written three books myself. I know, you know, and mine were business books. So it's, those are more sort of, 
you know, there's a structure to it that's built into it. It's very different when you're writing something just from your heart. So I'm curious about your process and how you made that work when you were on the go. Yeah. So I did most of my writing on travel days when we were going to be on a train for five hours or something like that. I I literally have written on every possible mode of transportation. I've written on a boat, a train, a bus, a car, a plane. I think those are all the mo- possible modes of transportation, major modes of transportation you can take. And I had like a general idea of what I wanted to talk about before we had left. I had sort of started the book and then left it. And then in my coaching, because I was also being coached the whole time I was traveling, I had like a business and mindset coach and it came up again. And I was like, you know what? I had had for some reason since college, I had this dream of writing my way through Italy. I'd always wanted to go to Italy and I've always wanted to be a write like a, a best selling author. I am a writer. I write every day, all day. And so I decided I was going to pick it back up. So I actually officially really picked it up in Croatia. So about halfway through the trip. So I was sort of piecing it together as we were going at the beginning. And for me, it was, I had a rough outline. And then oftentimes new sections or pieces would come to me as we were traveling because I would be writing something and I would be like, oh, actually, the way I'm thinking about that is different now than it was a year ago or something like that. Or questions would come up as I was writing and I needed to answer that question. And to answer that question, I would need to add in another piece of the book. I think I ended up adding up three, ended up adding three more parts. My book is in parts and there's six of them. So I think I ended up adding three more over the course of writing it. So it was, honestly, it was just me tapping into and allowing me to believe in my own wisdom. That's what it really came down to. Because like you with a business book, like me as a business writer, that's what I, that's the world I write in. And it's really based on data and facts and experiences and insights. And this is just, this book is just based on like, this is how I've lived my life. And I want to help you live your life this way too, because this is what got me to writing my book while I'm traveling the world. Took a little bit of doing to get out of the mindset of, oh, let me bring experts in. Let me bring expert content in versus you are the expert in this space. You need to, you know, bring your own wisdom to the book. Well, and that's really living up to your whole premise of living the intentional life. And I want to get a little bit into that in that you also, while you were gone, you were doing coaching and consulting and sort of, you know, how, how were you able to really keep that going fluidly and be able to support your clients while you were on the road and really be intentional about it so it didn't disrupt your ability to really experience what you were seeing because you were on the go and experiencing other cultures. So there's sort of that there's a question, there's two parts to that question, I guess. There's sort of the balance of having the opportunity to be present in where you were, but also the ability to be present with your clients and focusing on their their needs. Yeah. I mean, I think both parts play into one another and it all came down to flexibility. So when I left, even though I've been working for myself for, at that point, four years or so, I was still waking up with an alarm. I was still working a full, you know, six to eight hour day, having my dinner, hanging out, going to bed. And travel really turns that on its head because that's not the way the day goes. Like, for example, in Northern Africa is a perfect example of this. You didn't really want to go out at night in Tangier. It's really not safe. And even in Marrakesh in Tunisia, we didn't either. And so we would go out and explore all day and then we would work at night. 
because that's if we worked all day, we'd have nothing to do. We'd just be sitting around in the apartment at night. So you just have to learn to flow with basically what each location, what it provides to you and what makes the most sense. Like it made sense to work all day. We worked a ton when we were in Chiang Mai because it was like a hundred plus degrees every day. It was so hot. I mean, we did a temple tour, like our own little temple tour one day. And I mean, we're literally dripping in sweat because it was so hot. And so it was like, let's just work inside, go to a coffee shop, be in air conditioning. And then in the evening when it cools down, plus in Chiang Mai, the sort of normal flow made sense. Plus the city really comes to life at night. We would work all day. We would go to the gym in the afternoon and then we would go home, shower, hang out for a little while. And then we would head out for dinner, you know, something like Europe dinners, like 9 p.m. So you sort of your day changes based on where you are and also based on the weather. If we knew that the next day, the next few days were going to be rainy, it was like, let's make the most of today. We will put our work off for a few days. So that you just have to do that. Like you, it just becomes really clear that you just can't follow the norm of life while you're traveling in that way. And so in that way, it was really actually pretty easy to balance clients and, and coaching and consulting. I think my biggest tip I'll give other people listening that I gave my husband as well was don't offer times or days that you don't want or can't do, right? So like I would only give the times for coaching calls or for consult, whatever it was when I wanted to do it. And then if I had to, you know, if I had to make an exception and and do it at a time that wasn't right. But like, for example, when we were, I mean, the whole time we were traveling, we were in a completely different time zone than everyone in the U.S., Europe was probably one of the hardest, but Asia wasn't too bad because we were almost like a, we were basically like a full day ahead. So it was just like, I woke up on Monday and it was still Sunday, which was actually really nice because it was like a a whole day with no emails and just doing work. So I wouldn't say I'm going to take a call at 10 PM at night because I don't want to do that. And I know I'm not going to give my best at 10 PM. So you just have to, you know, be willing to just say, this is what's best for me, give a few options. And then you have to sort of do something that doesn't exactly work with your schedule then work around it. Did you use any programs or any companies that, or even guidebooks to guide your process and your selection of where you went? Or it sounded like you did, you used Airbnb, but I mean, Mm -hmm. were there other things that you used that sort of helped you plan your trip? We turned a lot to the website Culture Trip. For choosing, I think we just kind of had a an idea of where we wanted to go. And then we just sort of researched like the main cities in each general, in each country. So like in Vietnam, we stayed in Hanoi and Da Nang. And like we researched and Da Nang seemed like a great, we knew we wanted to go to Hanoi, but Da Nang seemed like a great second option for later. But the culture trip was really great for finding things to do and figuring out what those things were. And also for restaurants. I mean, that was the biggest point of research is where are we going to eat every night? So we're constantly researching and in coffee shops. Cause you want to try to like, we didn't want to go to the same place over and over. So we were always trying to find new places. So honestly, that was really it. And just Google. I mean, we just Googled everything and with, with the internet, the way that it is right now, it was so easy. I mean, 1 million percent easier than we ever anticipated. We would easily be able to go do that again. No problem. We don't want to. The most we probably do is like month at a time chunks. We'd like to go to New Zealand in November. That's our next big trip assuming that we can, but it's just so much easier than you ever anticipate because we would book places two or three days before we went there. So you just don't have to book. Like you're so used to vacation. You book five months in advance and you plan and you prep up for it. But especially in Europe, it was so easy to just 
buy a train ticket and the next day leave and be in a completely new country or whatever the case may be. Yeah, absolutely. And you did a one-way ticket rather than doing around the world. So you were just basically, here's your starting point and keep on going. Good for you. Yeah, because and, and good thing we did because we thought we were going to do Spain and then Portugal and leave from Portugal. But by the time we got to Spain, and I know this sounds ridiculous, but we were just like really sick of Europe. We'd been there for four months and we were just ready for something different. And so we were like, skip Portugal. We did a few places in Spain and then made our way to the south of Spain where we took a boat over to Northern Africa. And then we ended up flying out of Tunisia. So we bought our ticket to fly out of Tunisia when we were in Spain, probably three weeks before we left. So that would have very much dictated what we wanted, what we were able to do. So we're really glad we didn't do that. Absolutely. So I'm curious, of course, how has it changed the way that you perceive the world or perceive yourself as a global citizen after having this trip? As a global citizen, that's an interesting question. It put a lot, it made me sad a lot with our government and in the way that a lot of other countries run it. It sort of brought a lot of things to light not even things that I didn't know before, but that you sort of start experiencing firsthand by talking to people who live in New Zealand or Australia or these places that have different ways of doing things than us. So it was interesting in that respect. And you know what, I do think it just opened me up to of what other cultures have to offer. It sort of forced me to, especially in places like Asia, where it was very different. It sort of opens you up to seeing the learning opportunities and seeing the beauty in the different cultures that you would never know unless you were plot bound back in the middle of it. Yeah, I feel like I just, I learned a lot more about myself. For me, this was a big, I knew this was going to be a, a personal journey. I had done a lot of work up until that point, mindset work and childhood trauma and all the stuff that any of us who are aware are working through in some capacity. And I knew that this trip was going to be like me running off a cliff, putting out my arms and flying. And that's totally what it was. And so it really, it taught me a lot about that. I don't have to work eight hours a day, seven, you know, five, six days a week. Right now, toward the end of the trip, I was working maybe 10 hours a week. And right now between the book and building this new brand and my business, you know, I probably work about 20 hours a week at the most. And that was huge for me because I really fall easily into the workaholic sort of work all day. When I don't have anything to do, I'm like, oh God, I have nothing to do. I must be missing something. So it taught me a lot about that and trusting. There was a lot of trust that Ben and I had to have in one another and ourselves to be able to do something like this, to believe that we were, you know, so many people, my dad's in the military and he, you know, he was always saying like, are you being safe? Like, it's not safe to travel. And I'm like, it's not safe in the US. You know, like, I'm not going to not going to not live my life because of a potential, you know, god forbid like a terrorist attack or something or something like covid happening and, and we're abroad. Of course that would be awful, but I'm going to not live my life. So it sort of reminded me like I look back on that girl and I who traveled last year and it almost feels like a different person. Mm-hmm. Like I see pictures of me with my backpack on and I'm like, "Who are you that you like swam with manta rays and you rode a camel and you ran off the side of a mountain literally and paraglided your way back down and you all these terrifying amazing things like it's wild it there are no words to express how it feels to think back on who I was in that time and and I'm still her of course but in a different way 
Do you find that it makes you gravitate towards people who have had similar experiences or people that come from other places more than you were before? I think if I was around people more, we've been sort of secluded a bit since we got back and just with close friends. But I think when we were traveling, we felt that way for sure. Like while we were in it, we definitely felt like we gravitated toward people who were long-term travelers who were sort of making this a lifestyle. And it felt really cool to be a part of like that club. Like, you know, you meet someone and they're traveling for three months. Like, Amazing. We're on month four of an eight month trip. And they're like, whoa, eight months. That's incredible. And we're like, yeah, it's pretty wild. You know, it's just like, it's fun. It's a fun story to be able to tell and to live, yeah. really. You said New Zealand's next, maybe only a month, but somehow I see a, I see something else. Maybe it's not eight months, but uh, there's another adventure in your future. If you were to ever live abroad, where do you think you would go? That's a great question. I loved Spain. I loved Croatia. Switzerland was beautiful. We've been to, we didn't go to Amsterdam on this trip. But uh, we went to Amsterdam on our last trip to Europe uh, a few years ago. And I kept thinking if I was to live somewhere, I would live in Amsterdam. I love the lifestyle there. And it's so beautiful. Such a gorgeous place. And I remember that was like one of the first countries we went to where we could really find a good salad. Like before that, it was all just like meat and potatoes and stews. And we were like, ah, fresh salad. This is amazing. So I know they have great food there. I think Amsterdam would be my pick. And they have a great, they actually have some great visa programs for people who work for themselves and freelancers. So that is a possibility, I suppose, if we got crazy. Yeah, (laughs) my son actually went to bartending school in Amsterdam as part of his gap year and loved it. He, I mean, I've, I've been there as a traveler. I've never been there to stay. So I'm intrigued to go back more and explore it now that he, and, and see it through his eyes. So that's another hearing from you too. And I've never met a Dutch person I didn't like. That's another indicator for me. Yeah, they're so nice and fun. It yeah. was so fun there. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so before we sign off, I want to make sure that people can find you if they're interested in learning more about your content work and also your book launch, which if it comes out before this show goes live, we'll make sure we put it in the show notes, but otherwise they can find you by your name and I'm going to have you spell it so that people actually get it right. Yes. So my name is Jessica. My last name is Thiefels, T-H-I-E-F-E-L-S. That's actually Luxembourgish. And on our first trip to Europe, we went to Luxembourg and met some of my husband's family who no one in his family has ever met before. Half the Thiefels live in Luxembourg and half of them live in the US, which is pretty cool. That's very very unique. If you search Jessica Thiefels on Google, I'm the only person you'll find. I'm the only Jessica Thiefels that exists in the world at this point. So you can find my website, jessicathiefels.com. Anything book-related, mindset-related, that side of things, Instagram, at jessicathiefels. And then anything content marketing-related, constantly sharing tips, ideas, suggestions on Twitter. And that's at jthiefels, but you could just search my name. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's been such a treat to talk to you and hear about your adventures. I look forward to hearing about more of them next time we cross paths, maybe the next New Media Summit, who knows, when you have your podcast going. It's been such a pleasure having you on today. And thank you, Global Nomads, for sticking with us today. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review if you haven't already. And please do share it with your friends so that we can share great new ideas. And we'd love to hear from you about what you like about the show and what you'd like to hear more of. Until next time, bye-bye for now.